you grew up in extraordinary privilege. Could you describe that? Well, of course, it didn't seem like that. We were always kept very short of money. Mm. I was saving up from the age of 12 to run away. Mm. It took me a long time to do it. Well, when I was 19, I'd saved up enough. Well, I suppose it was privilege, but... Um, uh, you know how the English rich are? They always sort of think they're poor. Have you noticed this or not? Yes, I It's have. very odd. I mean, <coughs> well, uh, well, for instance, at Swinbrook and Astor, which mm. were the country houses of my father, mm. first we lived at Astor. When mm. I was nine, we moved to Swinbrook that my father had built, mm. all within a few miles of each other. Vast estates with um, ten servants in the house, not including Nanny and the governess. Mm. And um, we were always considered to be rather poor. And we were kept on a short leash as far as money is concerned. I don't know why, but that was the way it was. How, how did you, um, how were you able to put money into your running away account? Uh, well, you see, I'd save up every penny. For instance, you know how once in a while an uncle would give you a pound? Mm. I suppose nowadays it'd probably be five. But um, in those days, a quid or even ten bob, you know, it was quite a, a substantial sum. Mm. I started, when I think it was about twelve, after I... My mother said I couldn't ever go to school. She didn't believe in girls going. And I could see that I was, my life was going to be a total dead end unless I got out. So I wrote to Drummond's, which was our bank, saying, um, here's ten shillings for my running away account. And they wrote back saying, dear madam, enclosed passbook number so-and-so for your running away account. Um, and then they signed off, your obedient servants, Drummond's. And I thought that was exciting. So I kept saving.
since first you blew in like a boisterous breeze, I often have wondered, dear, what gentlemen all seem to fall on their knees the moment that you appear. Your fetching physique is hardly unique, you're mentally not so hot. You'll never win laurels because of your morals, but I'll tell you what you've got. You've got that thing, you've got that thing, that thing that makes birds forget to sing. Yes, you've got that thing, that certain thing. You've got that charm, that subtle charm, that makes young farmers desert the farm, cause you've got that thing, that certain thing. You've got what Adam craved when he with love for Eve was tortured. She only had an apple tree, but you, you've got an orchard. You've got those ways, those taking ways, that make me rush off to Cartier's for a wedding ring. Oh, oh, you've got that thing. Oh, you've got that thing. You've got that thing. That thing that makes birds. Forget to sing. Oh, yes. Oh, you've got that thing. Sure. That, uh, that certain thing. You know what I mean, don't you? Eh? Oh, you've got that charm. That subtle charm. That makes young farmers desert the farm. Oh, cause you, you've got that thing. <laughs> that, uh, certain thing. Oh, listen. You've got, you've got what Adam craved when he with love for Eve was tortured. She only had an apple tree, eh? But you, oh, you've got an orchard. Oh, you've got those ways, those little taking ways that make me rush out to Cartier's for a wedding ring. Oh, baby, you've got that thing.
again. Hear my heart rings from and I'm in love again. And the tune I'm humming is the huddle of cuddle of blue. I'm in love again, and I can't rise above it. I'm in love again, and I love, love, love it. I'm in love again, and I'm darn glad of the good news. You should have a great career Yes, you should, and you could Only one thing stops you, dear You're too good, far too good If you want a future, darling Why don't you get a pass For that fatal moment's coming at last we're all alone, no chaperone can get our number. The world's in slumber, let's misbehave. There's something wild about you, child, that's so contagious. Let's be outrageous, let's misbehave. When Adam won his hand, he wouldn't stand for teasing. He didn't care about those apples out of season They say that bears have love affairs and even camels We're merely mammals, let's misbehave
Did you become a communist as a, as a reaction against uh, this uh, fascism swirling about you and your own family? Well, I'm sure it was partly that, absolutely. It was also, I think, perhaps much more, looking back, the influence of the, the whole generation that I grew up in, and particularly people mm. ten years older than me, people who, when I was 15, would have been 25 mm. or 30, that sort of thing. Um, you know, I mean, the 30s were tremendously political period mm. in history. And so there was a huge lot of fascinating ideas swirling about, you know, outside Swinbrook, mm. and which one picked up on by reading. Your parents seemed much more disappointed at uh, you being a communist than at uh, your sisters as fascists. No, see, they went absolutely over for fascism. Mm. They went to Germany and they met the Führer. I, uh, in fact, I, yeah, when, after my mother died, I found her diaries, um, in, uh, you know, amongst her effects. And we have things like tea with Führer, you know, tea with <laughs> Führer. And, and then, you know, uh, in other words, in the middle of um, Nanny's Holiday, um, a calf born to um, a cow called Clover, tea with Führer. Your parents had a, a passionate interest in fascism and Nazism, and there was the strain of appeasement right throughout the, the ruling classes. Uh, you have to remember that large amounts, large sections of the English ruling class, uh, you know, were incredibly in favour of that fellow Hitler, as he was mm. called in those days. Because uh, what had he done? He'd crushed the trade unions, he'd crushed the Communist Party, and um, he'd crushed the Jews. And don't forget, there's a huge strain of anti-Semitism that runs through that class in England. So these are the things that make you feel that... My life was simply hellish. I didn't stand a chance. I thought that I would relish a tomb like General Grant's. But now I feel so swellish, so Elsa Maxwellish, that I'm given a dance. I feel like a million dollars, I feel simply out of sight. So come on down, come on down, I'm throwing a ball tonight. I'm full of the old paprika, I'm loaded with dynamite. So come on down, come on down, I'm throwing a ball tonight. A certain person just brought some news, and wow, was it great. So I rehearsed some my dancing shoes, now I can celebrate. I feel like a million dollars, I feel simply out of sight. So come on down, come on down, I'm throwing a ball tonight. I've invited Wendell Wilkie, I've invited FDR. And for photographs, I asked the staffs of life, look, click, peek, time, vogue, and Harper's Bazaar. I've invited Monty Woolley, and of course I asked Cliff Odets, but to all my bids, every one of those kids tendered his regrets, and so I feel like a million dollars, I feel simply out of sight. So come on down, come on down, I'm throwing a ball tonight. I'm full of the old paprika, I'm loaded with dynamite. So come on down, come on down, I'm throwing a ball tonight. I've arranged a rumba contest just to make my party chic, and the winning ones will get two tons. Of Lux, Pons, Vel, Teal, Mum, Zip, and Campofinique. <laughs> I've invited Johnny Walker and Hagen Hig. I asked twice, but to my surprise, every one of those guys wired back no dice, and so I feel I'm loaded with dynamite. So come on down, come on down, 
like this. This is fun. It's a Cole Porter song. Great song. I've got you under my skin. I've got you deep in the heart of me. So deep in my heart that you're really a part of me. I've got you under my skin. I've tried so not to give in. I've said to myself, this affair never will go so well. But why should I try to resist when, baby, I know damn well I've got you under my skin I'd sacrifice anything come what might for the sake of having you near in spite of a warning voice that comes in the night and repeats, repeats in my ear Don't you know, little fool mentality wake up to reality but each time I do just the thought of you makes me stop before I begin cause I've got you under my skin in the night and repeats how it yells in my ear don't you know little fool you can't possibly win why not choose your mentality step up wake up to reality but each time i do just the thought of you makes me stop before i begin because i've got you under my skin Yes, I've got you under my skin. When the little blue bird, who has never said a word, starts to sing, spring, spring. When the little blue bell in the bottom of the dell starts to ring, Ding, ding. When the little blue clerk in the middle of his work sings a song to the moon above, it is nature that's all simply telling us to fall in love. And 
Miss Otis regrets She's unable to lunch today She is sorry to be delayed But last evening down in lover's lane she strayed Madam Miss Otis regrets She's unable to lunch today She woke from her dream And found that her love had gone Madam She ran to the man Who had led her so far astray And from under her velvet gown She drew a gun and shot her lover down Madam, this old is regrets She's unable to lunch today Strung her upon a willow across the way. And the moment before she died, she lifted up her lovely head and cried. Otis regrets She's unable To lunch Who is a gasseroo at least 
After some libation, the transformation from boy to beast. <laughs> He's the WAP. Made Jack Daniels famous. Does taboos what I do to Amos. Well, let me see the thing there. <laughs> But we're glad he's born, and that's no corny slop. That's no corny slop. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Ah, next to Patsy D'Amour, he's the WAP. He's the WAP. Records sell like Nestle's. Nestle's. Excuse me. <laughs> Nestle's. see why in a minute. They're the top, but they don't top Presley's. Okay, okay. Okay, I know, say Presley's, okay. they don't top Presley's yet. <laughs> Needs his daily shot, or he could not survive. Bye. Don't just lay there, help me a little bit. <laughs> Feed him some Longuini, a dry martini, he comes alive. He does fine as a press abuser. Come to dine, there's a gift from Ruser. Now that's not right. Ruser. Ruser, sure. Here's, here's the part I don't know, so play the melody. He's a clothier's dream, makes Manju seem of a fop. Fop. Next to Henry Santa he's the WAP. He's the WAP. Who's the showbiz mystery? Goofs it off. He still makes history. There's no more O's in history, right? History. Actors laugh, he'll shun, completely undismayed. In Pal Joey, he played naturally and still got pain. He's the boy who prints all the manuals on the joy of consuming Daniel. How'd you make a ballad out of it all? <laughs> I don't know. What made you pick this song? This is the worst song. <laughs> that day he blows is when he will close up shop, shop, shop. shop. I like it. Next, <laughs> next to Tommy Leonetti, next to Annie Albergetti, next to Tony Francioso, next to even Ruberosa. He's not a wop, but it rhymes. Oh, <laughs> this boy. Is the one? Jeez! Mrs. Thatcher is certainly not of your class, but her authoritarianism protects your class. And her being the governess, you mm. mean? Yeah. What is the appeal of that? She's very much like a governess. Um, in fact, when. Uh, Perhaps that is the appeal, you know, you've got to have somebody to make you wipe your nose and tell you what to do, you know. I mean, that perhaps that's it. I don't know, but um, I mean, it wouldn't be appealing to me, and I, I'm sure it's not appealing to many, many people here. <laughs> but I suppose it is something like that. When you come back to England, do you see 
more or fewer freedoms than there were in the 30s? I'd say there's much fewer freedoms. And see, uh, when I first came back, well, I went to America in 1939, and because I couldn't get a passport, I became naturalized American, couldn't get a passport until, in fact, I never could get one, but in 1955, the State Department issued a passport by mistake. Mm. And they sent a, a telegram saying, uh, passport issued by mistake, do not use under penalty of the law. So we fled using it every mm. inch of the way and came back to England for the first time. Now, this was in the very height of what is loosely known as the McCarthy era in America. You know, the witch hunting committees rising high and all that. And, and in fact, it really was, you know, a, a sort of pretty frightening period because um, I mean, there's absolute proof that the FBI had in fact established concentration camps to hold up to 100,000 subversives. I remember telling my children, who were quite small, you know, we might all go to a concentration camp. And they set up and cried, we want to go to camp. They thought it was going to be lovely, you know, with riding and swimming, <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, but, but it could, might not have been that funny, you no. know. I mean, and besides, no. supposing one hadn't been, supposing one, what, the, what, you know, 100,000 were rounded up, mm. excluding me, I'd have felt dreadful not being part of that, you know. I mean, it was all...
During the 1950s, during the McCarthy period, you went before the notorious House Un-American Activities Committee, yeah. didn't you? Could, could you tell me about that and the, the experience of that? What a... Well, see, it's rather amazing when, uh, you know, I mean, all of a sudden you're sort of going off to work in the morning and there's an indistinct figure in the bushes who hands you a subpoena. And so that's the beginning of it, and that's a subpoena to appear. But my subpoena was, uh, I was then secretary of the Oakland Civil Rights Congress, which meant that I had custody of the records and the financial record, the membership and all that. So um, mine, my subpoena said I'd got to bring those records with me. And it, it was rather marvelous, but we got up there, and um, there were about a dozen people, um, and quite a lot of supporters in, of us, I mean, in the audience. So, um, uh, what you had to do was to take the Fifth Amendment, which is a technical thing, it consists of repeating to every question, I refuse to answer on the ground that um, my answer would tend to incriminate me. It's very boring after a while. So he asked all the usual questions, member of the Communist Party, refused to answer, uh, member uh, uh, of the Civil Rights Congress and all that, you know. And finally he said, are you a member of the Berkeley... I thought he said Berkeley Tenants Club. Well, I knew tenants are subversive because they're not landlords, you know, sort of figures. So I said, I refuse to answer on the ground. And there was a roar of laughter. What he'd actually said was the Berkeley Tennis Club, which was an <laughs> extremely posh, conservative stronghold of rich Republicans. So at that point, the chairman said, this witness is totally unresponsive. She's dismissed. <laughs> so I got out of it all that way. And I never had to bring the records or go to prison. When the only sound on the empty street is the heavy tread of the heavy feet that belong to a lonesome cop. I open shop When the moon so long has been gazing down On the wayward ways of a wayward town That a smile becomes a smirk I go to work Love for sale Advertising young love for sale Love that's fresh and still unspoiled Love that's only slightly soiled Love for sale Who will buy? Who'd like to sample? supply Who's prepared to pay the price for a trip to paradise Love for sale Let the poet's pipe of love in the childish way I know every type of love better far than they if you want the thrill of love 
I've been through the mill of love Oh, love, new love Every kind but true love For sale Appetizing young love for sale want to buy my wares follow me and climb the stairs love for sale love for sale yeah You got to thin out That's okay too But deal with me, do me right
Takers of America must have uh, gone quietly crazy at these revelations. No, they were. They got quite exercised over it. Mm. They had. Um, see, I was sent on a tour of the whole country, sixteen cities or something. It was an incredible tour. It was before these sort of book promotion things had ever been really done. It was perhaps one of the first. You know, it's, uh, 1963. Mm. Simon and Schuster was the publisher. In New York, they're called Simon's Shoe Store, you know, because they sort of merchandise books. But anyhow, they sent me on this thing, and everywhere that I went, there was a package from the undertakers, uh, which consisted of my entire communist record, as told by the House Un-American Activities Committee, and so on, you see. And so it was fascinating to see how the media reacted to this. When I was doing the American Way of Death, the, um, the incidence of cremation in the populace as a whole was 3%. It's now 11%. The reason it terrifies them is that, unlike any other industry, um, I mean, even Thatcher couldn't yeah. rescue them because uh, their market is inelastic, yeah. meaning one to a customer. In yeah. other words, you know, if you're selling television sets, you can sell one for every yes. room in the house, yes. car for every man of the family. Funerals, it's only one to a yeah. person. And so, every death yeah. that they lose. Yeah. And then the awful thing is that the death rate's falling because there was a terribly sad ar uh, article in Mortuary Management mm -hmm. saying that 
um, uh, due to the um, na national speed limit being set at 55 miles and due to medical advances in cancer and heart attacks, the death rate is falling. <laughs> it's terrible. I mean, you can see the... It's tragedy, really. ...plight. <laughs>
Thank you.